I bought a seven-pound stand from Amazon. I painted the wall. I think it was twenty-five-pound can of marbly paint. It's amazing how a little bit of theatre, a little bit of staging, and people are like, "Ooh, have you got a studio?" <laughs> no, no, I've got a seven-pound stand. <laughs> Top tip there for the FT. It looks great. (laughs) This is Bruce Daisley. He's the host behind the podcast Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. And he's someone I really rate because he has such a lot of corporate experience and is very plain speaking. He's just written a great book called Fortitude, which debunks one of the most pervasive workplace jargon words, resilience. But Bruce isn't the only podcaster we're going to hear from in this episode. Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. What is the greatest fear you have about how you're currently living your life? I was very insecure about admitting that I I was crying. Hello, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. It's a podcast about workplace culture, psychology and life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. Today on Working It with me, Isabel Berwick, we'll be talking to the greats, the royalty, the Avengers Assemble, if you like, of work and business podcasting to discuss trends and predictions for the modern world of work. Because let's face it, we're not the only podcast out there that talks about this. In fact, we're just one of thousands among the two and a half million to three million podcasts in the world. One big survey I read recently showed that work and business shows are the fourth most popular category, just behind arts and ahead of religion and spirituality. Make of that what you will. So I thought it'd be fun to pool our resources and expertise as we look to the future. And we asked the same set of questions to some of the world's most successful business and career broadcasters, including one that always fascinates me. Do you read books or look at your smartphone in bed? Books all the way. I mean, I get three pages in and then I fall asleep. (laughs) Books, 100%. Uh, Smartphone. First up on Workplace Predictions, here's Emma Gannon. I'm an author of five books, mainly non-fiction and two novels, and a podcaster of Control-Alt-Delete. What do you think are the biggest or most surprising trends you've noticed in the world of work since the pandemic started? I would say a huge collective reassessment of what success means. Rejecting the hustle culture, really looking at burnout properly. And I think, unfortunately, the decline of the numbers we're seeing into the freelance space, which was really taking off before the pandemic. So I'm hoping that bounces back. And now, moving speedily along to our next stop, from London to the Midwest in the US. Jenna, hello. It's lovely to see you. This is fun. We're together. Here's Jenna Kucha, another big name in business podcasting. So first and foremost, I'm a mom of two amazing daughters, and I'm a Midwesterner who hosts the Gold Digger podcast, which is the number one marketing podcast in the country. We are approaching, oh my gosh, I think 75 million downloads or something bananas like that. Jenna, like the rest of our podcasters today, has been releasing episodes throughout the pandemic, and these rocky few years have revealed a lot of common anxieties in her listenership. People are struggling with wearing all of their identities in the same 
space. So a lot of people thought working from home would be amazing and magical, and it can be, but it can also be a massive challenge, specifically when you're juggling more roles such as parenthood or spouse or partnership all under one roof. And so I think people are really finding it hard to create boundaries that protect their work life and their personal life and finding a way to separate them. And I think that's one of the greatest struggles right now. One of the things that's kind of coincided with the pandemic is this shift to what we're calling the metaverse and Web3, this idea that we'll have an even more immersive relationship with with the internet, I guess, and with digital experiences. This is Stephen Bartlett, who first became famous for founding the multi-million pound business Social Chain, aged just 22. Since then, he's become an investor on the BBC's Dragon's Den programme and is the host of Europe's number one business podcast, The Diary of a CEO. All of my companies are way more reliant on technology to communicate. So my companies in San Francisco, they actually have digital worlds where we literally walk into as avatars and we walk into a room. It's on a website called Gather, where when we have our weekly meetings, our daily meetings, our avatar walks into a room. Then when the meeting is done, we literally walk out of the room and go hang out in the kitchen. So the office has become a digital experience now, and that has definitely changed. I still really, really value the role that an office and being in person plays. And our teams will always be in person because I think work is more than just work. It's where you learn a lot of your interpersonal skills, your social skills. Stephen's first company, Social Chain, which is an advertising company working with social media, relied heavily on the pre-pandemic culture that its office provided. Our culture was heavily predicated on having a great office environment especially the workforce we were hiring was so young they were like social media natives that understood snapchat and tiktok and to be able to offer them much more than work to be able to offer them big friendship circles you'd find your roommates there and then you'd find your best friends there then you'd find your sports club so when the pandemic happened and our offices all closed it was the first time we saw an exodus because it became about remuneration when you removed all the other factors that made work great When you removed the community, you removed all the social stuff, you removed everything else we were given. People are now choosing other factors, lifestyle factors, mattering a lot more. In this conversation and debate, for many companies who reimagine the role of the office, it will become a tremendous upside and hiring advantage. The future role of the office in a post-pandemic world is still a hugely uncertain area for managers and workers. It's been two and a half years since millions of us went home to shelter from the pandemic, but many offices are still pretty empty. Nine in ten UK employers are currently operating some kind of hybrid model, and it seems that two or three days in the office is the most common practice. I talked to Bruce Daisley of Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat about the current state of play with hybrid work. Where are employers getting their ideas from? And does he think there's an end to uncertainty in sight? It's so fascinating to observe. There's one guy, Professor Nick Bloom from Stanford, very well regarded, but you can see his fingerprints on, I think, on the actions of organisations like Google and Apple. So he's very much that we need to be in the office two or three days a week, three is what he says, on coordinated days. And so you see Apple do that, you see Google do that, and it turns out to be an incredibly unpopular decision. And in fact, when I chatted to him, I said, I think the three-day ship has sailed. And I get the sense that these organisations, their missteps are partly down to the fact they've brought in outside counsel. And the outside counsel is actually as uncertain and confused as the rest of us. It's so fascinating to watch these companies who've built this 
idea, this projection of themselves as understanding the technological future and their workers are just telling them, well, we think you've got this wrong. There are some companies that in the height of the pandemic decided to go fully, fully remote and having spoken to a a lot of leaders in those organizations, I'm talking CEOs, founders, they're trying to claw back to some degree. And for various reasons, if you go and see Twitter in San Francisco now, the office is a ghost town and they're trying Pizza Tuesdays to try and beg people to come in. I'm seeing them understand that there's a balancing act, this hybrid solution, which is probably the best way forward. And clarity for employees when they're in a job is the most important thing. I don't believe that saying to your entire team, everyone should do whatever they want, is conducive with a culture where people would actually want to work. Because so much of our work is synchronous, it's collaborative. There does need to be freedom within defined parameters. And the parameters for some companies are, you know, we meet on Wednesday and Thursday in the team. And outside of that, do what you like. But having some parameters, I think, is really important. And in fact, your company culture should be squarely reverse engineered from your mission in the world. Your mission is more likely to be accomplished if your teams are happy. So giving them an environment where they are happy and they have the freedom that they want is part of accomplishing your mission. Here's Jenna Kucha's predictions on that hybrid point. I think that people are craving a hybrid model. I think they are seeing that there are benefits to working from home. But I also think that, you know, I have a neurodivergent brain. I'm ADHD. And so I really struggle with focus. And so throw two kids and two dogs and life into the mix of it can be really challenging. And so people are craving more real, like intimate connection in a world that is so hyper-connected digitally, but so disconnected interpersonally. I really think that we're craving just more vulnerable more real reminders that like we're all normal and we're doing the best we can and the quest and the journey is worth it. So if the three-day week is too much time in the office but fully remote is not enough, what's the magic formula? Here's Bruce Daisley. There's a professor from Harvard Business School called Professor Raj Chowdhury, and he strongly believes that we're destined for work from anywhere because top talent normally sets the standards of organisations. So top talent in the past demanded email on their phones. They demanded Apple devices. They demanded that they wanted to use their own phone rather than a Windows mobile phone. You know, top talent has set in very small incremental ways, has set the standards of what work looks like. Now, that's really alarming, especially if you've got an organisation that's saying you need to be in the office at least three days a week. But I think whereas maybe we anticipated three days in the office was going to be the norm, it's very quickly falling to two and quite often one. And I suspect we're going to end up with something that looks far more like one or two days a month in the office. So if we all go down to a handful of days a month in the office, well, for many of us, that'll be quite a shift. And I wonder also about the impact of that. Will a move towards spending less and less time together in person ultimately devalue us as humans? There's already an epidemic of isolation and anxiety. And remote work, which does have many advantages, also erodes trust. I read a report in the Harvard Business Review that summed it up. As humans, we want and need to see people face to face. That helps us to trust each other. And the absolute worst outcome is one that's actually on the rise, that of employers who let people work remotely and then they don't trust them, so they use software that monitors what staff are doing all the time. 
I asked Emma Gannon how workplace technology, both good and bad, and the rise of artificial intelligence and robots is going to impact the future of work. I think a lot is going to change. I think we are going to be seeing more jobs being automated and the rise of technology actually helping people live their lives better. But with that comes so much change in politics. I think the issue you're seeing in a lot of industries and companies with shortages as it relates to personnel is pretty alarming. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've never gone to a restaurant up until last week and seen a poster on the front of the restaurant that literally read, I know you can see empty seats and tables in this restaurant, and I know you're wondering why there's a really big queue, but it's because we just don't have the staff. And I'm looking into this restaurant and it's like 75% empty and there's a massive queue. And I remember thinking, that's crazy. That's absolutely absurd. But I think the consequence of that is going to be that we turn to automation. I think iPads will do much of the role of me ordering my food. But it means we need to think about upskilling the next generation of our workforce to meet the demands of a changing world. I'm all in on that space. For Bruce Daisley, this move towards tech is both a blessing and a curse. The reason why everyone's feeling frazzled, the reason why everyone feels completely broken by the way we're working is that since email came onto mobile phones which was sort of the advent of about 15 years ago and we all hungrily begged the IT man to let us have the internet on our phones because it just sounded so exciting I can do my emails while I'm on the bus and then I can mess around in the office a bit more that was the promise of it in that time the average working day went up two hours a day in addition Microsoft say that during the pandemic the average working day went up an additional 45 minutes oh okay so in the last 16 17 years the average working day has gone up three hours a day is it any wonder that we're all feeling like we're on our knees but then someone turns up with a webinar someone turns up with a long email saying we can beat your burnout and it's brilliant reframing the reason why you're burnt out isn't because of you it's because we're operating in a sort of ridiculously overstressed toxic environment And Emma Gannon feels the same way about how we're now reframing that rather old-fashioned and binary work-life balance debate. I don't really believe in balance, or at least I feel like it's a myth that we're sold, especially as women, and then we feel bad about ourselves. It would be about setting boundaries in order to reassess that balance because even people who pretend they're not people-pleasers, they actually are. And some of the most hardened people I know just want everyone to like them. So I think um, it's saying no more often and just turning down things, making space again in your calendar, I would say. And your focus is on creativity and how that impacts our working lives or our ideas about work. What's the best advice you could give someone on how to be more creative or innovative in their thinking? Well, I would try and take my own advice on this, but it would be to put your phone down for a bit. And by that, I mean, go for a walk and don't listen to a podcast. Don't listen to music, even just for one walk out of the week, because we don't have enough quiet time, I don't think. I think I could take that advice. I'm permanently plugged into Mm. a podcast. Even Stephen Bartlett concedes that this move to being constantly plugged into our digital world and to social media, two areas he's heavily invested in, could have lasting negative consequences. I'm somewhat cautious about the world becoming entirely digital. You know, we've spent a long time complaining about how every other aspect of our life has become digital, whether it's ordering food or connecting with a friend or finding a date. And with the surge towards the metaverse and whatever that will look like, everyone's got their own biases. You know, everyone's got their own situation. So everyone has their own opinion. 
but I think we should have had the conversation about social media, but we didn't. We just got sucked into it because there was a clear upside, but there's always a cost. I think in hindsight, we're going to wish that we had a greater conversation about the inevitable trade-offs. Well, it was amazing to talk to these podcast greats. I'm a bit of a novice myself, so I've learned a lot. And from people who immerse themselves in the world of work, they know where the trends are coming. They can see what's happening. And we've talked a lot about tech here, but actually the thing that links all of these people is their belief in the value of connection of our humanity. And I think as we go into 2023 and beyond, that is going to balance out all our anxieties about hybrid work, about being in the office. We've started to reconnect with each other in maybe a profoundly different way than we did before the pandemic, and that will only continue. So I have pretty high hopes for workplaces in 2023, and I hope you do too. Thanks again to Stephen Bartlett, Bruce Daisley, Jenna Kutcher and Emma Gannon. We'll put links to all of their podcasts in the show notes. And if you like this episode, please do leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And please do get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. We're at workingit at ft.com or with me at Isabel Barrick on Twitter. If you're an FT subscriber, do sign up for our Working It newsletter. We've got behind the scenes extras from the podcast and exclusive stories you won't see anywhere else. Sign up at ft.com forward slash newsletters. Working It is produced by Novel for the Financial Times. Thanks to the producer Anna Sinfield, executive producer Joe Wheeler, production assistants from Amalia Sortland and mix from Chris O'Shaughnessy. From the FT, we have editorial direction from Manuela Saragossa and production support from Persis Love. Thanks for listening. Um, well, look, you know, if anyone has got all the answers about what's going to happen to the future work, if you can just get in touch, because I'll eagerly listen to everything that you've got to say, because I'm constantly in pursuit of trying to work out what the answers are. Well, hundreds of people email me every day and probably you too with, with apparently the answers, but none of them seem to be working. <laughs> yeah, the people who email me don't really have the answers. They have their CEO who would like to talk to me about what the answers are. I've never met a CEO who knows the answers to anything. Thank <laughs> you.